What would it take to arouse your life, to experience more connection, more pleasure, more realness, in and outside of the bedroom? I'm August McLaughlin, and this is Girl Boner Radio. Did you know that some of the first condoms were made out of fish bladders and animal intestines? We've come a long way since 3000 BC. It wasn't until 1916 that Margaret Sanger opened the first birth control clinic here in the U.S. The next year, she was sentenced to 30 days behind bars for being a public nuisance. And once she was released, she reopened her clinic and persevered again and again through more arrests. The activist, sex educator, and nurse was controversial for other reasons, too. She focused her efforts in minority communities, which was awesome, helping people who had less access to health care, and also founded Planned Parenthood. She also, however, used the ideas of eugenics, or selective breeding, a little too Handmaid's Tale, I know. In 1966, Martin Luther King Jr. said he felt her work was important and humane, according to Time magazine. And Gloria Steinem wrote an essay in 1998 saying her embracement of eugenics rhetoric may have been more about political strategy to get more people on board with birth control than her own actual beliefs. Even so, eugenics gives me the heebie-jeebies. Now, decades later, people with vulvas have so many birth control options, which is awesome, but A bit like Margaret Sanger's ups and downs and pros and cons and harmful work and wonderful days, people's experiences with birth control range from pretty frightening to profoundly wonderful. Last week, I spoke with three folks, all women, who had nightmarish birth control experiences before gradually finding their way to far better options. I'm grateful they were willing to share their stories because I think we can learn so much from lived experiences. And as you'll hear, all three women sincerely hope that by sharing their stories, they might save someone out there a lot of pain and grief. First, Haley's story. The PR company director and founder of a homeless outreach company in London told me she started looking for a form of contraception in her late teens, first to help deal with heavy, painful, irregular periods. Her doctor recommended an injected form, which she said felt like a nightmare for three months. She herself felt like a nightmare. She told me it got to the point where she didn't feel like being around herself. She was extremely temperamental and moody. Soon, she said enough was enough. But by age 21, her periods became unbearable. She could barely get out of bed some days. So she worked with her doctor on a plan to take birth control pills that she could take breaks from. And for a while, that seemed to be really working. Her periods weren't as bad and her emotional health had not gone haywire. Two years later, though, that pill was discontinued. Then her doctor recommended a mini pill that she would take continuously. And the first time they put me on worked miraculously everything just stopped I had no symptoms I was absolutely shocked by it and so I started sort of exploring it's like this isn't normal this these aren't normal periods so Haley and her doctors did some investigating and discovered that she did not have PCOS polycystic ovary syndrome finally a couple of years later the word endometriosis was mentioned it took five years for her to be diagnosed with that which isn't uncommon Some studies show eight to nine years as the average. 
that's a long time to be dealing with the pain and bleeding, which happens when tissue that typically lines the uterus grows outside of it. And like many people with endo, her symptoms, unfortunately, weren't taken very seriously at first. Even now with the diagnosis, I still have doctors saying to me, no, it's not that. It went back and forth. Like I'd see doctors and they'd be like, yeah, it's definitely that. And then I'd see other doctors and they'd be like, no, it's not that. It's just stomach issues. Everyone has stomach pains every now and then. Yes, everyone has stomach issues now and then, but endometriosis is a whole other ball game. Haley's symptoms landed her in the hospital at times, once when endometrial tissue got into her blood and caused an infection. At times, she was so bloated that she appeared to be several months pregnant. Birth control can be extremely important when you have a chronic pain condition like endometriosis, and it makes finding a good fit that much more important. One day, she went to pick up her prescription and learned that the brand she had been using that she was comfortable with had been discontinued. So they gave her another pill, letting her know it was exactly the same. There should be no problem. She started taking it and soon noticed more pain and that she was exhausted. It affected her moods as well. It made me anxious. And it's one of those things where I suffer from anxiety anyway. So it's like, I don't know if it's my anxiety getting worse. I don't know if it's just causing it. I remember after a month going back to my doctor and saying, you never, ever give me this again. I was so depressed and anxious and I just felt horrible for a month. Haley described these mood changes, the anxiety and depression as an instant drop. After that first month, she went to Hungary and she had forgotten her birth control pack. There she saw a doctor who gave her the original brand, the one she had loved, which was still available in that country. And of course, she was over the moon. It cost me a fortune, but I didn't care. Um, and it was then, as soon as I started taking that, I was fine again. Next, I spoke with Natalie James, another London resident who owns a lifestyle PR agency. Natalie had an extremely difficult experience with an IUD, which stands for intrauterine device. Many people in the UK refer to it as the coil. Like Haley's birth control journey, Natalie's didn't start out with the ideal method for her, even before her problems with the IUD. So initially, I started on the pill. I didn't have a good reaction to it. I started to get chest pains and I just didn't feel unwell. So I came off it. Um, and then I just, I was struggling to find out what I should go on. I wanted, I'm quite forgetful, so I didn't think going on a different pill would have been helpful. And also the fact that I had a bad experience, it just put me off having any of the pills. That's when Natalie opted to try an IUD or the coil. While birth control pills use a single hormone or a combination of hormones to prevent pregnancy, the IUD is this small T-shaped device that works by blocking sperm from entering the uterus. Some contain hormones, others are hormone-free and made of copper. Once in place, they can stay effective for anywhere from 3 to 12 years. I've heard from many people that the IUD is their favorite birth control method thanks to its convenience. For Natalie, that convenience, the same convenience that attracted her to it in the first place, disappeared almost instantly. I think it was pretty much quite hellish from the get-go. So when I had it put in... Um, I was told that I would be in pain afterward, but the pain that I experienced was nowhere near what I expected. Like my body was instantly rejecting it and I still had to travel home on the train and I just felt like I was going to pass out the whole way home. The pain was unbelievable. 
I mean, I've not had children before, but if that's what it's like, <laughs> I'm not sure if I could go through labor, but it was just, it just literally felt like my body was trying to squeeze the thing out of me. I just remember going home and taking some strong kind of paracetamol and I fell asleep, but then the next day I was fine. And then I would say about three weeks later is when the bleeding started. Both Natalie and I have been curious why some people experience pain after IUD insertion and some don't at all. The process hurt so much for me that the IUD never even made its way fully in. A human reproduction update study from 2013 that reviewed findings from 22 years showed that 17% of the cisgender women with IUDs who had never given birth and 11% of those who had experienced significant pain from the device. In other words, you are a lot more likely to have the side effect if you haven't had a baby before. And several medical articles state that neither heavy bleeding or intense pain afterward are normal. Like many people, though, Natalie wasn't aware of that. She had been told that pain and bleeding might happen, so when they both did, she had no reason to think they weren't part of her body's adjustment period. The bleeding in her case was a lot more than spotting. It was it was super heavy, and it was just nonstop, and it's not like anything I've ever experienced. And I thought, okay, maybe this is just like my body getting used to it. I did some Googling. I looked on a few forums, and it seemed that I wasn't the only one that kind of experienced this. But then the days passed, and it started to turn into weeks and months, and I was still bleeding pretty much all the time, which was pretty disruptive. It was kind of uncontrollable to the point where... I had to be careful what I was wearing. I had to change my tampons at least five to six plus times a day. It was just an awful experience. And then on top of that, I started to get, I think after about six months or so, I started to get extremely bad cramping and I never experienced cramping at all, even with my general periods. And get this, I just Googled, is cramping after IUD normal? And here's the top featured response. Yes, most women experience cramping during and after having an IUD inserted or removed. The cramps might continue periodically or for a few days. They might even last a few weeks to a few months as your body adjusts to the IUD. Hmm, that kind of goes against some of those medical texts, right? The ones I mentioned? And importantly, it goes against experiences like Natalie's suggest. This idea that it's normal. A little cramping is one thing. That is not what Natalie experienced. She knew it was time to make a change. It just got me to the point say, I just need to get this out of my body. It just seems like it doesn't agree. And basically, I just got it removed straight away. Natalie's symptoms diminished after that, and having the device removed wasn't painful. Certainly nothing compared to the cramping she had been experiencing. Since then, she switched to a contraceptive implant placed beneath the skin in her arm. It's been amazing. I mean, it, it has pretty much stopped my period, which I'm not complaining about. But yeah, it's fine. It's not something I have to think about. Um, It does its job. And I don't seem to have many side effects. So I feel like I've made the right choice. Our last experience today comes from Megan, who described her birth control challenges as one nightmare after another. Her journey with contraception started early at age 13 to deal with period problems. She told me her doctor put her on a new pill basically every three months. 
it never really fixed the problem and I got tired of like the cycle they had me on and so I kind of at like 14-ish was like I'm done doing this now. My journey with birth control as birth control like for that purpose was a little bit more normal. I was 18. I'd uh, lost my virginity and then suddenly was like, oh my gosh, I need birth control. I can't keep doing this. Not that I didn't use protection, but you know, you, you have that realization afterwards. You're like, oh my gosh. Megan's hope at that time was to find effective birth control so she could enjoy sex more freely and safely. Instead, she found a lot of problems, but it took her a while to realize the issues were caused by birth control. I had things like constant migraines that were not always the painful kind. I'd have what's called silent migraines too, where I'd have all of the like vertigo and sensitivity symptoms just without the full on headache. And so I was like, why am I having all these cluster headaches? What is this about? And the doctor was not helpful. (laughs) So I had those. And then mood swings were just always crazy for me. I had just I would go from laughing to crying to just so angry at the drop of a hat that like I was like I'm not I'm not okay with being like this I would yell at people and I just I was like this is not who I am this is not okay and then one of the bigger ones was my sex drive just totally went away after a while and there was no way to orgasm by myself with anyone else and honestly like the thought of sex started to make me feel a little bit like physically sick like queasy because the sex drive had just gone so far away. Some experts estimate that about 5 to 15% of people who use certain types of hormone-based birth control methods experience a drop in libido. But considering that that link isn't as talked about as other side effects, it's possible those numbers are higher. While some folks might feel more sex-inclined because they can rest easier knowing they will guard against an unwanted pregnancy or feel healthier and more balanced overall, Others may feel less sexual desire because of drops in certain hormones or as a result of other possible mood changes like depression. Thankfully, Megan started putting the pieces together to understand why she was dealing with so many challenges when she heard someone else talk about their own birth control experience. So it was actually a friend who had been on birth control and was telling me why she'd gone off it. And she like ticked off all these things and I like mentally ticked them off in my head. I was like, oh my God, I have all of those same problems. And so her doctor had said, yeah, you need to quit the birth control. You can't have like the quality of life that you need with the birth control. And so I was like, do I need to quit? And frankly, I didn't consult a doctor at that point because I was frustrated. And so I quit and so many things got so much better within Some of it got better within like a week and then like within the next three months, so much had cleared up, but it was honestly years later that I put it all together. In all, Megan said she struggled with birth control issues from age 18 or so when she started hormonal methods to stave off pregnancy and started putting it all together between ages 23 and 25. And she described going hormone free as life changing. She has PCOS, so she still does deal with that, but the headaches went from weekly migraines to maybe two a year. Her desire for sex returned quickly too, allowing her to feel more comfortable having intimate relationships again. It was also honestly, so I consider myself somewhat hypersexual, and so like it was jarring definitely to completely lose my sex drive after like having had a high one. I was like, who is this person? Um, But so getting that back was a lot like getting back a piece of myself. 
she also experienced fewer mood swings and less bloating. Without all of that, especially the frequent headaches, which she described as most debilitating, she was able to thrive more at work too, for a child protection nonprofit organization that, among other goals, pushes for comprehensive sex education. She's also embraced ways to prevent pregnancy and enjoy safer sex without hormonal changes. So currently my alternative is that my partner has a vasectomy. Uh, I am poly, so I do use condoms when I am with other partners uh, for safety. Haley, who struggled with those severe effects from switching brands of the same birth control, told me that advocating for herself has made all the difference. Another big takeaway she hopes others will learn from her story is that no one can know you as well as you do, not even doctors. Said the biggest lesson is doctors aren't always right. And they did try to dismiss me when I said that the pill was causing a mental health bit. It's like no one goes from fine to depressed overnight when nothing has happened. Natalie, who had severe pain and bleeding from an IUD, said the whole experience made her more weary of medical information in ways she feels many of us can learn from. So now I definitely advise people. Of I tell people my experience when they mention that they want to get back. And I just say, do your research first, because I don't think I did enough research. I just jumped in and it's definitely not something I'd recommend other people to do without kind of reading the pros and cons and also reading forums of different people's experiences. Because mm-hmm. it wasn't until afterwards that I read that a lot of people had it in and then were like, it needs to come out. My body is not like it's not working well with my body. Megan, who realized she doesn't tolerate any hormone-based birth control method, shared similar advice, adding that talking to people you know about their experiences can be hugely helpful too. She also wants folks to know that everyone is unique. Just because she dealt with some of the worst-case scenarios doesn't mean you will too. I would warn, and I have warned anybody who has asked me, like, exactly what side effects I've had. I always say, like, you won't necessarily have this experience. I have these things that have probably helped lead to the problem here. But like, I definitely think more people should know just how bad the side effects can be. And I definitely know women for whom that's worth it. Like not having a baby is worth whatever the side effects are. And I totally get that. Um, And they're not as bad for some people. I'm so grateful to Haley, Natalie, and Megan for sharing their stories. To learn more about factors to consider when choosing your own birth control method, see the links down in the show notes or check out chapter 10 of Girl Boner. This week's listener question relates a bit to this topic in the pelvic pain department. It comes from Max, who wrote this. I have chronic pain that makes sex complicated. It was a source of contention in my last relationship, which ended a few months ago. I would like to date again and eventually share life with someone, but I feel like damaged goods. I don't want the exciting part of a new relationship to feel tainted by my issues. Do you have any advice? P.S. I do have treatment that helps, but sex is still not simple. I can't have sex during PMS or my period, for example, so like half the month. Max, thank you so much for trusting us with this question. I know you are far from alone and many people are relating and appreciating you for sharing. Here's what Dr. Megan Fleming of GreatLifeGreatSex.com had to say. Max, thanks so much for this question. And I guess I just want to start by saying that sex isn't so simple for many of us for a number of reasons. And that most importantly, I'm glad to hear that you do have treatment that helps your chronic pain. And first of all, I really want to make sure 
I imagine it's already abundantly clear to you, but most definitely that you are not defined by your pain. It is a challenge that you have and is an experience that you have. But I think so often I see this, um, whether it's chronic pain or somebody who has had cancer, they somehow sometimes can feel identified as if that is a part of them versus it's an experience that they're having. And so I want you to recognize that you are in no way, in no uncertain terms, quote unquote, damaged goods. You're human and we all have complexities and it's recognizing that with the right partner, you're going to sort of see this as a challenge that we, how are we going to manage this and um, creatively play around this together? And so the thing about pain is often there are conditions when it's better. As you said, there's certain times of the month that you kind of already know where sex is kind of off the menu. But that being said, it's a big menu. You know, there's so many ways of giving and receiving pleasure. I, I say this all the time, but I think we forget. So because our culture is just so focused on often intercourse, penetration, orgasm, that again, the basics of it all is about giving and receiving pleasure. Um, so I imagine, you know, certain times of the day, perhaps morning when you're more rested and relaxed or afternoon might be better than evening. Um, certainly thinking about what time you take medication, if you're taking medication for your pain, um, thinking about angles and whether you use sort of either wedges or pillows, other things to make you comfortable. Um, you know, for some clients, even thinking about the weather, um, humidity and uh, rain in certain circumstances can make, if you know, they have arthritis, can make their pain worse and or better. So it's certainly capitalizing and really doing an assessment for yourself of the factors that make it better and worse and capitalizing, creating those conditions that lend to more comfort and more pleasure. And certainly recognizing that um, it's a discussion that it's, it's sort of letting them know um, when you're if, when and if you're sort of not a good time, not in the mood, and how many times does that happen for all of us for many different reasons, as I said earlier, it's just to think out of the box and knowing that are you comfortable, like say with mutual masturbation or just giving your partner pleasure, even when you're, if you're not in the mood yourself to receive. Um, I think the most important thing is that you don't um, allow this again, challenge, get in the way of your meeting, going out and dating. Because I find that often when people are not feeling really good about themselves for whatever those reasons are, somehow, again, when you refer to, you know, perhaps seeing yourself in some ways as damaged goods, that that would get in the way of your putting yourself out there. I see avoidance, you know, the number one strategy of anxiety often is avoidance. And so I'm really encouraging you to sort of see this as a fun opportunity to really find that right partner. Because I can tell you in the right relationship, you both are going to figure out ways of having a very satisfying and fulfilling sex life that almost on a daily basis, for sure, if you're interested in it, can give you both and yourself in particular, a lot of pleasure. So as always, would love to hear how it goes. Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. Sex definitely brings complexity for pretty much all of us at some point throughout our lives. And Max, you are 100% not damaged or broken. I loved what Megan pointed out about expanding the menu and knowing that the right partner will work with you just as you'll support them. I'll add that if it feels best to you to skip sexual intimacy altogether during certain times of the month, that is completely okay too. Sometimes knowing you're taking a break, whether that's for a few days or however long you need, can bring the benefits of focusing on emotional intimacy 
and anticipation when you do delve into sex again, which is so powerful for pleasure and connection and all those good things. And any challenge that you face will be yours as a couple to navigate together. I think it's really easy to think of ourselves as the problem or the person bringing the problem when in fact people are complicated. We all bring in different concerns and challenges and if it's affecting one person, it's affecting the relationship and that doesn't need to be a bad thing. I also really validate the the frustration. I think it's very normal and natural to feel challenged and, and not want to have to deal with these kinds of things. I really commend you for seeking support, for speaking out, and I hope this helped today. If you have a question for me or for Dr. Megan, please reach out at the link down in the show notes. And if you've been enjoying Girl Boner Radio, please leave a rating or review. And I would so love it if you would share an episode or two with your friends. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week. Girl Boner Radio is owned, operated, and executively produced by me, August McLaughlin, with technical producer and audio extraordinaire, Mackenzie Mazel, as part of the Period Podcast Network, an affiliate of Starburns Industries. Learn more about the Girl Boner podcast, brand, movement, and book series at girlboner.org and more about Period at periodnetwork.com. 